This podcast contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Queer Lives, real stories, queer people. This is a podcast dedicated to being a platform for true stories from the LGBTQ plus community. My name is Ben Moody, and I'm the producer of this podcast. I wanted to start off with a question. What does it mean to be queer? There's no easy answer to that question, is there? It means something different for everyone. This project was created to answer that question, and by doing so, to connect people with the broader queer community, the history, and the people within it. So let's get started. This week on the podcast, we have Wilbur Turner. Wilbur is a leader in the National Pride Movement and chairs a nonprofit organization involved in gay men's health and harm reduction. He resides in Kelowna, BC, where he owns a wine and piano bar with a focus on community building, music, and art. It was a really kind of bleary, cold day in October and I was coming home from work. It was about 1995. It's a bit of a blur, so I don't really remember the exact day. And sometimes I don't even remember the exact year. Cause I guess sometimes your mind wants to shut things out. I got my key for my front door of my house where I lived with my wife and my two children, put it in the lock and I turned and it didn't turn. And I thought, oh, maybe I got the wrong key. So I took it out and looked at it. Yes, it's the house key. And then I thought, well, maybe I just got on the wrong street and it's a house that looks like mine because we hadn't lived there for very long. So I backed down the stairs and took another look at the house. Yes, it's my house. Tried the key again, wouldn't open. So at that moment, I realized that my life was about to change. And what had happened was my wife of 18 years had decided that she had had enough of wondering when I was gonna come out. And as she had said to me later, she couldn't compete because she was trying to compete with the affection of a man. And I didn't have a man in my life, but she knew because we had talked about it quite a few years before. And she had decided that we should stay together because we had two little kids. It was a very traumatic day. I really didn't know what to do. So I went down to the sidewalk and I looked around and I saw the vehicle of one of my friends way down the street parked and they were watching the house. In that moment, I realized that my friends were no longer my friends because people had already started to take sides. So I had the presence of mind to call my lawyer who had only just done, you know, real estate transactions with and really didn't know him too well. And I said, this is what's happened. 
I'm locked out of my house. And he said, well, it's your house. So if you want to get in, you can get in. So I went around to the back and I lifted the sliding patio door out and got in. But then I didn't know what to do because I knew that my wife was going to be coming home from work and her friends who had been, our friends who had been sitting down the street watching were, were calling her to tell her that I was there. So that night, I slept in the guest room with a chair against the door because I was actually afraid. And things were quite heated, like very heated. And now when I look back on it, I realized that it was the biggest gift that she had ever done for me was to let me go. Even as hard as it was for her and for me and the children, um, I wasn't brave enough to take the step because I was too scared of what would happen. But it was like a light switch got turned off in my life. The friends that I knew were no longer my friends. I belonged to a religion where it was very much closed in and we were not encouraged, we're actually discouraged to have friends outside of the church. And so I didn't even know who I could talk to in my family. My wife phoned all of my relatives and outed me. And I don't blame her because she didn't want to be to blame for the marriage breakup, so she wanted to break the news. And it was extremely stressful for her as well. The church that I belonged to, I went to since I was a child in my parents' arms. And this, at this point, I was 38 years old. And I was very much living in a world of guilt and shame. And I didn't know what to do. I just kept going to church Sunday morning. And the ministers came to visit. And they told me that I could no longer share the emblems as they passed them around the room because they were worried about me infecting them. And this was in the 1990s when the fear of HIV AIDS was still pretty strong. And even though I wasn't infected, they, they assumed because I was gay that I must be. So I had to sit in a certain chair in the room and I had to sit beside the elder who ran the, the church service and everyone would take out a drink out of the same cup as an emblem and it would come around the room and I had to take it last after he did. And it was always a tradition that the elder was always the last one to drink out of the cup. So now I was feeling like a bit of a pariah and not in a special way that I was singled out. So I felt really horrible, but I still kept going because that was what I knew. And then uh, they came to me and said that I was not to speak to the children or touch them or shake hands with any children at church because the parents were feeling uncomfortable. So that was the day uh, that life changed again for me because I just stopped going to church. But for years after that, 
I felt guilty every Sunday for not going. And I hated God. I hated anything to do with religion. And I felt like my life had just turned off. Everything I knew, I was, uh, I played the piano for all the church services. I led an acapella choir. All my life was part of that. And it was now just over. So I set about making new friends, mostly through work and and then I became involved in a charity called Small Change, Big Changes in Calgary, which was a benefit for HIV AIDS. I was successful in raising a huge amount of money for that organization that went to a hospice. And uh, I decided out of that experience that I would be a voice for people who didn't have a voice. And there are still people that way today in the world we live in, even in this city and even in this province, this country and around the world, there are people who are suffering because they don't have a voice. They don't feel like they have a voice and society has put them in a box and they don't feel like they have the freedom to be who they are. The other kind of strange thing was that whenever I went to any gay events, I felt like I was an outsider because I didn't think I was gay enough to be gay. <laughs> so, you know, part of it, now when I, laugh, I look back and laugh about it because I had spent 38 years of my life being straight. Um, <laughs> I'm in a dance competition right now with my partner and he is a natural in dancing and I am not. <laughs> I grew up in a in this religion that didn't have anything to do with dancing or parties or anything like that. So this was all new to me. I didn't know that you had to count and move your arms and legs in a coordinated manner to the music <laughs> at the same time. And I'm learning. And uh, my partner is a natural, and he grew up in an environment where his parents knew he was gay from a young child before he did. And he was nurtured and supported in whatever he wanted to do creatively. So I said, I've got all that, you know, 38 years of practicing being straight to get, uh, you know, backwards unravel. <laughs> in uh, 2011, I moved to Kelowna. I knew one person. And in 2012, in the early part of the year, I started going to the Pride um, meetings. And I got involved in Pride. And I realized that there was some changes that needed to happen in the city, not inside of the, so much inside of the LGBTQ community, but in connecting, connecting um, the community at large. And one of the things that had happened here was the, the mayor had uh, previously decided that he wasn't going to support anything to do with gay pride and in fact was taking a human rights commission over it. And uh, this was the first year that he actually showed came to pride, uh, 2012. I was my alter ego named Audrey <laughs> and I had a dress and heels and a wig and some earrings and a bit of makeup 
that drag queens do. It was also my first year as a drag queen that I kind of learned how to do on YouTube. And uh, I was the MC at the opening ceremony of Pride and the mayor was there and I had some fun and he was scared that we were gonna be serious. And I think he was scared of the crowd and he commented to me, he said, I hope we're just gonna have fun today, right? And I said, oh yes, <laughs> we're gonna have fun. And so I planted a ceremonial kiss on his cheek during the ceremony. And the picture showed up on the front page of two papers here and on the National Post. And it was on TV, Global and CTV, and it said, the headlines were things like gay and gays and mayor kiss and make up. And the kiss heard across Kelowna. <laughs> and, you know, it was fun, but it was actually um, a really amazing experience to be able to witness the change of attitudes in the city. And that was kind of like the tipping point. And since then, the pride movement here and the acceptance and the attendance has grown multiple times to the, into the thousands. And one of the things that I think we have to always be mindful of is and appreciate and acknowledge is our freedom and equality that we do enjoy and never take it for granted. Because there's things happening in the world where the pendulum swings the other way and we have to be still be on guard. And I'm really grateful for the thousands and thousands of volunteers around the world that get involved in activism and having a voice and making a voice so that young people who are feeling oppressed and not safe have, a, have that voice, have that um, role model, you might say, or that window of hope that things do get better. I just got engaged to my sweetheart. I met. Uh, one year ago, we had our third date sitting right at that counter before I owned this place. It meant so much to me, I just bought the place. <laughs> um, and you know what's really amazing is my children love him to pieces, my son and my daughter. My son's 30, will be 39 in March. My daughter just turned 34. I have two grand, two grandsons and a step-granddaughter. And uh, when I was at my grandson's seventh birthday in November, he said to his dad in the truck on the way over to visit us, he said, Dad, do you think that Albert would go on a boy date with me? <laughs> Albert's my partner. He said, I'd like to take him to the military museum. <laughs> and then we were having dinner that night, and he looked at me and he said, Grandpa, where are you sleeping tonight? Are you in a hotel? And I said, no, I'm staying at Auntie Sarah's house. And he looked at me, and then he looked at Albert, and he said, oh, does that mean you're sleeping together? And I didn't know what to say. Because I'm just always on guard because of, you know, family situations and what's okay and what's not okay and what do you expose children to and not to and 
and uh, I just kind of looked at my son and he, he just said, the answer is yes. <laughs> and uh, when Albert was visiting with my son just before Christmas, they met in Calgary to, to exchange presents and my son gave him a big hug and said, we love you. And Albert started to cry. Because we are his family in Canada. He has no relatives here. So we are his family. And he's just blown away by the support and the love that there is in this community and among the family. And it's, you know, uh, the, the sad part of this is that my mother doesn't speak to me. And it's because of the religion thing. And we did, we were talking, but then things came to a screeching halt last November or a year ago. Uh, she sent me an email that said the title was Because I Love You. And the subject, the content was you need to learn. I hate, well, first of all, she said, I hate the life you live. And you need to learn to hate the things God hates and love the things God loves. Please don't be upset at me. I'm telling you this because I love you deeply. My mom is 91. She's not going to change her mind. And so I accept that. And I, I still go forward being a voice for people who don't have a voice. Thank you. Wilbur's story was recorded live at his beautiful piano bar, Wine and Art, in Kelowna, British Columbia, on January 31st, 2017. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Resist Stigma. Resist Stigma is a national initiative that engages young, gay, bisexual, queer, two-spirit, and trans men, as well as health professionals, in combating stigma. Sound systems at the live event were provided by Ossicle Hearing and Tinnitus Treatment Center, a new hearing experience. Celebrate sound again. You can check them out at kelonahearing.com. A big thank you goes out to the Men's Health Initiative in Kelowna for helping with the recording process and to Wilbur Turner for providing his space for this initiative. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you found us. It really helps upcoming podcasts to reach a larger audience. My name is Ben Moody. And this was Queer Lives.